Hello and welcome to Unapologetic with me, Robin McNeil, identity coach and mentor for coaches. This is the podcast for the entrepreneurs with the complex mind as we pick apart the intricacies of running a successful business. Enjoy conversations with incredible guests from around the world. And of course, you'll get to hear my inner bitch firsthand as I dive headfirst into the topics we often shy away from. Ready to be unapologetic? Let's go. I always tell people, you know, if you want to go into consulting, you could, there are tons of books out there. There are a lot of awesome thought leaders. There's a lot of information that you can learn and learn for, from, and those strategies work. They are very helpful, but they are not framed in the proper context for your lived experience as a woman of color or a woman in general, let's be honest with consulting. So you have to take that into proper context and it's okay to adapt and modify. Dr. Angelina is the founder of Excel at Consulting and host of the Black Girls Consult 2 podcast. She provides intimate coaching and educational experiences developed to support women in consulting and social entrepreneurs in building profitable, purpose-driven businesses. Dr. Angelina, welcome. Hi, how are you? So good. It's great to be Friday. I know. (laughs) Fridays are always great on my end. I can imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, why don't we just start? Why don't you introduce us? Tell us your pronouns and what do you do? All right. So I'm Dr. Angelina Davis. My pronouns are, I guess, she, her. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also I am the founder of Excel Consulting. So it is a coaching and educational platform for uh, women who are interested in sharing their expertise with the world and really growing and building thriving consulting businesses and practices. Um, And, you know, I also am the podcast host for Black Girls Consult too. So I'm always happy to to jump on the mic and have a good conversation. I feel like in social media nowadays, we're getting little sound bites um, that are only 30 seconds, 60 seconds. So whenever we can have like these longer conversations, they just seem to warm my soul. (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that because that's exactly why I wanted to get right back into podcasting. I'd had a podcast a couple of years ago and it's, it's these kind of conversations. And, uh, you know, we were just saying just before recording that we can know each other online, sort mm-hmm. of, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, we see each other here, we see each other there, but you get face to face with somebody and have a conversation. And that's when you really get to know somebody. So thank you for being here. No, thank you yeah. for, for inviting me. I love it. <laughs> now, you actually have an incredible story of how you got into consulting. And I would love for you to share, you know, you started off in the, in the forum with, I've always been a rebel and an overachiever. So <laughs> tell us all about it. Oh, wow. Where do I start? So um, just to kind of give a little bit of background about myself, I actually am a pharmacist by training. So I was working as a clinical pharmacist. I had a, my specialty is infectious diseases. So I definitely was enjoying that aspect. And I'm one of those that has always loved my job. So my venture into consulting actually started as a result of me just wanting to grow in that area. You know, you get to this point where you go through school, you get all these different degrees or certifications, whatever your training may be, your background. And you get to that point that you've been working for for like decades. And then you're like, uh, is that all? Like I have to... (laughs) 
what do I do next? And so uh, I got to that point and I like to say that um, for me, you know, definitely it was a blessing from God, but it all the stars kind of aligned for me to run into an old mentor that I had. Uh, who was actually looking for a consultant to join their team at the time. And so this was a journey for me back into academia somewhat because our consulting group kind of spun out of an academic department. And so I ended up joining that group, becoming a healthcare consultant. That's been almost a decade ago now. And uh, what led me down this path of starting Excel Consulting, which is my business, is because shortly after I started in that job, my mentor uh, that actually brought me on, she ended up having a, a nervous breakdown. So she ended up going through uh, a very difficult time because of the workload. And that's something that's not very uncommon uh, in that industry. Many, many women especially tend to bow out because it's such a huge demand in terms of time once you get to a certain level to keep kind of competing and growing and, and really, uh, I would say living up to industry standards, but also because of personality type, living up to our own standards, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I was determined at that time, like, I am not going to let that happen to me. And over time, I was just able to put systems together that worked for me, that started working for, you know, others that I worked with. And I'm known, like, for instance, in our group as the productivity, high performance person, because <laughs> I'm all about keeping things simple. And that spun into me just trying to help other women be able to do that, because really, I feel like the biggest thing that holds us back overall are our responsibilities, right? It's family. It's, you know, this sense of um, having to take care of others in whatever shape, form or fashion that may be in your life. Um, as well as the desire to be anything, everything for everyone else except for yourself, right? Uh, so my goal was to find a way that other women could be able to achieve their dreams and their goals without having to burn themselves out, without having to be overwhelmed, without having to, you know, kind of give up on whatever their dreams or vision may have been because they feel like they have to make a choice, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times when we create those dynamics, when you make everything like completely black and white, we're, we're putting ourselves in a box and it doesn't have to be that way. We can do things differently. And it's just a matter of feeling comfortable in doing that. I feel like you've just described every high achiever that's listening right now or they're, everybody's sitting here nodding their heads because they're like, oh, yeah, uh -huh. uh, been there, done that. Right, right. I mean, we're so guilty of it. And when you look mm. back at it, um, I don't know who is credited with the quote, you know, but the whole discussion about how your B minus work is somebody else's, you know, A plus <laughs> work. And coming to that realization is hard because you want to give your best. You feel like if you can do even more, why not do it? You don't, you don't want to feel like you're selling people short or you're not giving your all. And I think that causes a lot of us to put ourselves under unnecessary pressure, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And it takes us toll over time. Yeah, it, it is. It's the self-pressure. It's mm -hmm. always, it, it, it's almost like you're not competing with anybody else. You're competing with yourself to do better right. and strive to the next goal. And so I know you talk a lot about um, stability and the, that work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you go about coaching and consulting on that topic 
and making sure that women aren't doing that, you know, too much and burning out. Right. You know, I try not to get too much into the debate of, is it work-life balance? Is it work-life harmony? Is it work-life integration? I see, I think the, the, the bottom line is that we all believe that there should be a way for us to have a sense of normality in our lives where we feel comfortable and we feel as if we're living our, our lives fully um, in a healthy way. And so for me, I like to say that whenever we're able to integrate all aspects of our lives into the work that we do, the easier it is. So even if you have a nine to five and, and that's your career journey, how can you make that so seamless where you don't feel stressed and pulled and, and feel as if you have to lean so heavily into one side or the other? If you're a stay-at-home mom, how do you, you know, find time for yourself where you have that level of, you know, balance or integration that's there? Um, and, you know, definitely when it comes to building a business, in the midst of everything else, because it's a lot of the work that I do. Many of the women that I have been blessed to work with, um, they are often making a transition from their nine to five. So they're building while they have a job, while mm. they have a family, while they have responsibilities. And normally that would be a reason not to do it, right? It's like, oh, that's not the perfect time. I'm going to wait until the kids get older. I'm going to wait until <laughs> this one graduates. And um, I, I think the key to that, for me is keeping things simple. You know, I always say that we don't have time to do everything that we want, but we have time to do everything that's important. And I think when we shift our mindset around that and focus in on, you know, the fact that let's say for me, I would love to launch an amazing YouTube channel, right? But I don't have the capacity for it right now. It will require me to show up on video. It will require me to put out, you know, weekly content in a video format, which is not my, uh, I would say, most natural platform. So for me, a podcast was better because I was able to do that work behind the scenes in my pajamas sometimes, which is mm -hmm. why I have a solo podcast and I invite guests on periodically. Um, but that was a way for me to kind of still, you know, make steps moving forward without letting, you know, my capacity hold me back. And I think a lot of times it's just a matter of shifting from this all or nothing thinking to understanding that it's going to be a journey that, you know, we have to figure out what works for our lives right now and to simplify it as much as we can. And by really mastering one thing, <laughs> at a time that actually will be the quickest road to success. I think oftentimes we take on too much and we overwhelm ourselves. We create a situation where we don't have the capacity to fulfill on what we've promised. And, and that's a spiral downward because then you get into the mindset of self-defeat and all these other things that hinder you from moving forward. And next thing you know, you give up, you know? So um, it's, it's just been my way of allowing those things to, like I said, work in my life and what I found have worked for clients, you know, over time, just keeping it simple. I love that you said that and, and how you just shared about it, it is more of a harmony and finding that ease, like a seamless ease from work into life and back again. Cause I think for a lot of people, um, like myself, I enjoy work. You know, yeah. I enjoy that as a part of my life and I'm not the person 
who uh, sits on Instagram and says, you know, oh, I only work three hours a day. Yeah, sometimes I do only work three hours a day, but it's not something I, I take pride in. It's like, oh, I got my work done. Now I'm going <laughs> to go do something, but I have pride in that work. Um, so I think that's really refreshing to hear that, like, it's okay to hustle a little bit. It's okay to work. It's okay to cross boundaries and do things at night, as long as you have that seamless transition and you're not stressed out doing it. Well, that's the thing is, you know, what works for you? I feel like we are always listening to what everyone else, you know, has found help to be helpful. I want to wake up at five in the morning or I want to wake up at four in the morning. I want, you know, we're, we're kind of always in this competition to be the, the first to get started. But if you do your best work at night, why not use that time? Right. And like, I'm, I'm a little bit like you. I love to read and to to study things that are new and I and I enjoy the work that I do so it doesn't feel like a burden for me to work it in and other you know other times of day or even on the weekend because it's it's something I enjoy and I think that's the key what do you enjoy doing and how does that fit naturally in your life and just kind of really blocking out what other people say should be a standard um, because I, I think we just listen to that noise a little bit too much and, you know, over time, when those things are more comfortable, you're more than likely to stick with it, you know? Um, so for me, yeah. I'm like you, it bleeds over. I have to turn my mind off. Like, as a matter of fact, I have picked up since toward the end of last year, I started back crocheting, which is something that oh, I hadn't nice. done since, <laughs> since I was like, you know, maybe a teenager. I learned from my grandmother. And the reason why I did that is because I, I have a wellness coach. So, you know. I believe in having coaches, but I have a wellness coach. And the one thing that she was urging me to do is to turn my mind off <laughs> sometimes because she would, you know, we think about hobbies and I enjoy reading. So she was like, no, you're taking reading to the extreme. Let's turn that <laughs> off too. <laughs> and so I picked up like crocheting. So I've been making this blanket, learning how much I need to learn in the process and just relearning all these things. Um, but it's actually really enjoyable. I can just sit there sometimes. And uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I run in the new year, literally crocheting and watching <laughs> a, a series on Netflix. So, um, and that was perfect for me because my, my husband and I we were just like, we don't want to do anything. We just want to rest with the kids and just relax. And that's what we did. So um, yeah, things can be and look a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, hobbies, hobbies that don't cross into work are always good. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, I do the same thing. It's like, okay, I'll just read this workbook. No, got to put that away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd love to back up though, because um, you did say something and and I it, it just kind of piqued my curiosity of how you work through this with clients. But I think I know for myself when um, I get a lot of clients who want to move from a done for you into coaching or mentorship, one of the biggest questions is, but what is it that I coach on? And I'm curious, mm -hmm. I, I assume you get this question too with consulting, especially because yeah. you're dealing with very high level professionals who have probably a varied skill set, a very high skill set, like most high achievers, we can do pretty much anything. How do you get them to focus in on the thing that they're going to love and they're going to have that ease in their life? So one of the first things that I like to do is an activity called vision mapping. And I have them do that to start. And it's really weird when they first do it. It's like, why do I have to do this? Like, this mm -hmm. thing is elementary, right? It seems like 
what in the world does it have to do with building a business? But I, I like to tell them that you have to know what you want to build. You have to have in your mind this vision and this image of what you want to create so that you're able to move forward. And you want to be doing something that truly speaks to your heart and is not going to be driven solely by money or by what you see other people doing around you. And one way of doing that is to map this out beforehand, just to keep it handy so that you can always go back and look at that and see, am I really staying true to what I said my vision was, or am I letting other things kind of deter me and draw me from that path? And, you know, so the next part uh, about their journey is typically, well, what in the world do I sell? Like, how do I package my expertise and my knowledge and put it out there? And one of the things we talk a lot about is how do you embrace everything about who you are? So not just what you know in terms of textbook knowledge, but then also what are your skills and what are your talents? What are those hobbies that you picked up? over the over years and you become great at and also what are you passionate about and how do those things fit together to create something that other people can't offer and i think a lot of times we don't take into consideration that especially when it comes to businesses and other corporations they're looking for ways to enter into these new markets. So if you're a working mom, they're trying to sell something to women who are also working and raising children. If you are a woman of color, oh, there are tons of organizations and companies and businesses that are trying to tap into, you know, to, into your, um, your culture. And so really thinking about how you're able to embrace all of those things and offer something that helps the business or the individual consumer meet their goal is going to be key. And I think when we start internally, instead of what we're traditionally taught, which is look at the market, find a gap, and then go fill that gap. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference because what happens when we take that approach is that we often try and piece together and offer each time we run into another client. It's kind of one of the dangers I feel with referrals. Uh, I think they're great. But I think what trips people up is that they never really create a lane for themselves if they are not doing that intentionally. And they they go out and they're just trying to solve problems and you're a little bit all over the place trying to, trying to fill a gap. And it may not be your strength. It may not be where you find a lot of ease. And so then you make things more complicated because now you're bringing on contractors and you're doing all this extra work that's unnecessary if you just started with what you're able to offer and then match that to a need that's in the market. So I think that's the piece that we work through. And I was actually um, working with a client the other day, for example, and she's really interested in doing work in project management. Well, there are tons of project managers out there. How do you stand out? And everything that she would mention would be a service that you commonly see. And I was talking to her about just some of the needs that businesses may have, because I think we think if we are going into um, the, the corporate sector that we need to offer something that's very uh, general or we need to go after the bigness, biggest organization that's out there. But there are so many smaller businesses like we were discussing that have a need for a project manager but cannot afford to bring you know that type of talent on because it's expensive. Yep. So how can you provide a service maybe where you're training up 
someone internally to be able to do that job and the work that's specific to that organization and that need, and then provide that as, you know, as your offer. So it's just ways that you can use the things that you're best at to match it to uh, the needs that are out there. And I think a lot of times we don't spend enough time on the market research piece, the the boring piece to figure (laughs) that out. (laughs) Because we don't want to do that research. I know. I mean, and I hate it too. I, I'm guilty. I'm so guilty. Like, you know, you hear that. And, and also, I feel like when we're thinking about market research, we're only thinking about like interviewing people or focus groups and surveys. And, I, you know, nowadays, there's so much that's online that really some of the most valuable information that you can get, especially let's say if you're working in the business to business space is going to come from Indeed, just looking for what people are hiring for, um, looking at where maybe they're getting bad publicity. There are just a lot of ways that you can pinpoint like these, the needs in the market more effectively and efficiently than even asking someone. Because most times people don't Oftentimes they don't even know what, <laughs> what they need, right? You know, they can't they can't vocalize it. They are experiencing it, but they don't know how to tell you exactly what that is, which is why people do all these surveys and they do, you know, kind of all these interviews and they put something out and they're like, well, no one's no one's buying it. They said they wanted it. I'm like, well, that's not really what they wanted. You know, they didn't. I always tell people that. You can never sell consulting. Nobody wants a consultant. Nobody wants somebody to come in and get into all your business and <laughs> tell you tell you what you need to do. Nobody wants to buy that, but they want the transformation, right? They want they want the end result, and that's the part that I think oftentimes we have difficulty on our side trying to communicate in the sale. So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of here's what I can do, but. Yes, but how does this get me to what I need? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, I got that. I mean, uh, I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, the amount of people that need PR consultants right now, yes. <laughs> especially in the online space. And like my whole background as mm-hmm. a manager was PR. That was, you mm-hmm. know, 90% oh. of my day was dealing with public relations issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I laugh because I, I I'm listening to your take on market research and thinking, yeah, that's a brilliant way to do Mm -hmm. market research. And one that we don't think about check indeed, you know, Mm -hmm. really just use social listening and see what's going on. And it doesn't always have to be a a research survey or poll or. Exactly. One of the biggest contracts I ever landed in, um, in healthcare consulting came from a negative, you know, um, article that was published in the local newspaper and (laughs) And it's being able to answer that need because they didn't want to ever have something like that happen again was, you know, kind of an easy door of entry. So I think a lot of times we don't think about those things that are right in front of our face and we're making things so difficult when in all actuality, a lot of it is much easier than we can imagine. And definitely on the PR side, like that is heaven sent. (laughs) My gosh, if people, people can manage PR, I think that's only going to be more valuable, don't you think, moving forward? Oh, yeah. Media and how things are growing and how fast information is traveling right now. I can't, I mean, that's going to be a priority for everyone. It should be a priority. It was something, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I was talking to a client um, in December and she's a very high profile client. And her concern was that she was going to be lumped into this um, group of cult coaches, if you will, uh, who are running a practice that a lot of people are calling out. Um, Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and the one thing I said to her was, you know, it, you're going to get a bad review. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not when it's, it, or not if it's when. Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared with a public relations plan. You have right. to be prepared for it now mm-hmm. for that eventuality, especially because we're on social media. People can create anonymous accounts. They can share um, videos that technically they're not allowed to share anonymously Mm -hmm. right because how are you going to find them how are you going to figure out who it was Mm -hmm. and on and on um and if you're not if you're not preparing for that like it's going to take off like wildfire like it has been Mm -hmm. yeah and look i'm listening to you say that and in my head i'm just i'm thinking like oh my gosh if that was a course and maybe you have this course but i was like if that's a course i would clearly buy it like a workshop i would pay tons of money for it mainly because i you're right i don't think that we think about that aspect but we fear it you know that's one of the reasons why we don't want to show up online because anything else doesn't create kind of like the same digital footprint that video does, right? So, you know, people don't like people don't like to necessarily always read. We, we're avid readers, but, you know, the, the general public will prefer to watch a video. Um, so, you know, with that being said, there are ways that we can hide other aspects of media. But when it comes to video, I feel like, to me, that's like, like the truth teller (laughs) because they can see you and hear you and read the tone and the messaging and all of those things Mm -hmm. um and I I think that keeps a lot of us and it kept me for a long time from showing up online authentically because I was fearful of what that would look like and stepping out of this quote-unquote professionalism box there are even times where now I put up certain things and I I cringe a little bit because I'm just like oh this is not up to standard as I would want it to be, or, you know, it's not as nice as I can, but once again, kind of being true, I do it because I'm trying to be true to what I um, teach clients to do. And what I, what I advocate for is that, you know, the most important thing is for you to get your knowledge and your expertise and your thoughts and ideas out there and don't worry so much about what it looks like, you know, or Mm -hmm. what your hair may be doing that day, or, you know, whether or not you have the perfect outfit. Um, Because that's a pet peeve of mine is that, so much of social media in the past, so media in general in the past has been built on having a perfect brand. And I think there's something to be said for looking a certain way and having branding. I think that that's important, but I also like the the authenticity and the realness that we're seeing now. Um, I am a fan of that because uh, I like to connect with people and have those human to human interactions that I feel like are just more natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but it keeps a lot of people from doing it, like you said, and just the thought yeah. of something yeah. negative happening. You know, what's funny. And I think we're going to, we're going to touch on professionalism because I'd love to hear your, your redefinition of it. Um, but yeah, this is like my honest PR advice is when something happens is you've got to, you've got to address it at a human emotional level, like, and, and accept it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I fucked up. <laughs> Sorry. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I love that you say that because the same reason that we fear showing up and being authentic and being ourselves and possibly being judged for that mm-hmm. is actually also the solution for when it happens. That's so true. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but let's get into professionalism because I think this is a hard thing, especially from going into a corporate uh, corporate structure into mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. And sometimes it's kind of hard to take off that professional hat. So tell me more. Yeah, the professional 
hat and just professionalism in, in general is something that we have been taught to, in my opinion, kind of believe and think of from the perspective of a cisgender white male. And I always say that because mm -hmm. it's like this one very narrow path of what professionalism should mean. And when it comes to consulting, that is beyond true. I always tell people, I was like, if you don't believe me, Google or not necessarily, well, you can Google, but go on Amazon and pull up any book on consulting. You will see the same faces across the board, right? And that's because that became a standard. It, you know, you were supposed to look a certain way. There was a certain definition of professionalism. It usually included a suit and tie if you're a male, if you're a female, a powerful suit, and very conservative in terms of your appearance. Like someone like me, definitely being a woman of color, and especially with <laughs> curly hair, coily hair. Um, that would have never, never flown. And I remember when I first made my transition to just showing up more naturally myself, um, it was a hard journey to make. I was extremely uncomfortable because I felt like I was being judged every step of the way. Now it's funny because if I walk into a room and I have my hair straight up or it's in a bun, I often feel out of place. And that's mm. weird to me now. Um, and I do pay attention to when I do that at times, certain people will go, we're going to give you a compliment because they're trying to let you know that that's their preference. And that's okay. We all have preferences in terms of how we should show up and how we should look. I can tell that that varies a little bit by age. So if we have been more conditioned to believe that we're to show up a certain way, then we're going to, you know, also um, view other people in that light. But I think that you know, when we're able to peel back those layers and recognize that for me, professionalism is more so showing up in excellence, meaning that it has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you have an earring, whether or not your hair is curly or straight, whether or not you have a red suit or a blue suit or a black suit, you know, all those things are just external, you know, factors that people have put in place to somewhat limit others from being able to walk the same path, in, in my opinion. So, you know, I, I feel like when we see professionalism is, as being that excellence that we're trying to provide, that help we're trying to provide to other people, it's going to show up more naturally. And nobody is going to mistake that for being unprofessional, no, no matter what, you know, what you wear or what you may have on, right? Um, one of the, you know, minds that is kind of like, or people that are blowing up right now and, and really in his own right has been around for a while is someone like Alex Hermosi. So you see his videos popping up everywhere now on LinkedIn. They're all over the place. And he's on there with, <laughs> with a, a shirt, t-shirt and some shorts and, you know, whatnot. And he's talking and giving business advice. Mm -hmm. And that would have never happened in the past, right? And yes, there's something to be said for being a multimillionaire. I get it. You're like, you know, money is <laughs> behind him. That does make a difference. But it does, I enjoy the fact that he does it from the standpoint, it begins to normalize the fact that that level of brilliance and success comes in all shapes and in, in forms and, and it looks differently for everybody. And the more we see that being portrayed, no matter if you agree or disagree with their philosophy, the more we see that being portrayed, the more accepting we are as a society and a culture that those things can exist. So 
Oh, I love that perspective. Yeah. So I just really like that part. That's, that's my take on, on professionalism and why I'm always, I'm always pushing people like (laughs) we have to redefine this, define it for yourself. Like don't feel as if you have to be locked in the box. And I understand because if there's one thing that I have struggled to get away from, it's a blue or black suit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. The, the dress code. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's. It's actually, it's, it's a really interesting transition. Um, and I think it's one that, especially as women, we struggle with because women are judged more and I'm sure you've experienced that and, and women of color judged even more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, so how are you helping to change the industry and be, help people be more of a rebel and just letting their authenticity fly? (laughs) my push is to really do things your way right um consulting does not have to be in management in business or it consulting can be creative consulting can be you know something that is extremely unique especially in our new era because we're in a totally different space than we have ever been before so those traditional definitions don't work. And when you look at the, the the traditional landscape of consulting, it's actually gotten a bad rap. I was actually reading a article very recently about, you know, some of the larger organizations that are out there and talking about some of the trouble they've gotten into in recent years of putting profit, you know, uh, before their their clients and, and their and their needs. And so I think there is a wave and a movement to change that narrative, especially on behalf of people who are, you know, entering the industry as solo consultants or smaller firms and boutique agencies, that people are realizing that consulting is nothing more than really taking all the knowledge that you know and using that knowledge as a product to help people, right? Um, and and when we think about it that way. It, I feel like it opens us up to just tremendous possibility that was always there, but we never appreciated. And I think that's why you're seeing the boom of like the creator economy, because there's this aspect of just simply, you know, think about, I was uh, listening to something very recently. I can't remember how much he spent on, um, on the YouTube um, thumbnail, but Mr. Beast, um, I was, oh, yeah. you know, listen to something like, and spend this outrageous I think it was like six figures or something like that on the actual thumbnail just to get it to go viral. And when you think about all that it took to create that and the expertise behind that, that was able to generate that one thumbnail, there's value beyond what we've seen traditionally in the consulting space. And I think that's the part of the narrative that I want to to change. And I want us as especially women to recognize that we have all of this already under our belt. So instead of being away from our kids and having to work extra jobs and do all these things to make ends meet, we have the ability to make money, generate wealth and build a legacy using the knowledge that we already have, that we've already invested in. And I think that's, for me, the thing I'm so passionate about. I'm like, you spent all this time in school and training and whatnot, you know, put, let's put it to use and uh, in a different way. So that's (laughs) don't mean to go on on about it but that's that's my my take on on that one oh I love that um (laughs) it it actually the question popped up in my mind are you seeing more remote consulting now and oh yeah definitely 
Definitely. Uh, and, you know, and stemming not from the consulting, uh, the consultant side, but actually stemming from the organization oh. side, because I think we all realized once we went into the pandemic that it's, it made more sense, right? Why spend all the money and time to fly somebody out to where you are, you know, just for a simple meeting? Yes, you're going to have to do that for different projects that may, you know, have a larger scope or you may have to do more work or maybe you're doing the initial presentation to a large number of stakeholders, whatever it may be. But in most cases, people are okay now with finding this solution online. As a matter of fact, Many would prefer to have that. It cuts costs for them. It allows them to fit it into their busy schedule so they don't have to organize around, you know, kind of you being there and making sure that you're taken care of and have hotel stays and all those other kind of stuff. You know, they can literally get the advice and direction that they need um, online and they can get it globally. And that's what has really, uh, I feel like, even more so transformed the industry because now instead of, only the bigger players being able to afford to send, you know, consultants all over the world. Now, smaller, you know, smaller firms, solo consultants, people who are working by themselves are able to land that same business because they can do it online. They don't have to have those resources to get out there. They can market themselves. They don't have to have a massive marketing budget. It has made things so much easier to, uh, you know, to really land business. So I tell people, I'm like, this is the time to capitalize on it right now because we will get to a point eventually where things adjust and, you know, I don't know what, you know, was in the future in terms of social media and, and access to it. But let's say, for instance, it becomes more of a pay to play, even more so than it is right now. Well, that may prevent us from capitalizing on the same opportunities that we currently have. So right now is a time to like really maximize, you know, our opportunity to go in that direction and build, you know, the wealth so that we can begin to change that narrative before we even get to that point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's such good advice. Because, um, I just, I, I keep thinking, I've been thinking about my own consulting as well. Mm -hmm. I've done some consulting locally, um, but I haven't really brought it into the online space so much. I've been using my coaching practice and my mentorship practice and yeah, just everything you said now, it's like, huh, yeah, I should go for this. Like definitely, definitely. <laughs> I'll start with this PR workshop and go from there. <laughs> yes. I mean, definitely in, in, you know, even, on a larger scale, it's amazing to me how open people are now to working online. Like it's just become the new norm. So, and and also as younger um, individuals, especially going out and getting jobs and moving into into their careers, are pushing to work remotely and pushing to work from home. I only see that continuing. I don't see it ever going back to, you know, how it used to be. Um, and, and, and I can speak to that. I, you know, I started in consulting when you had to travel. It's like, you were yeah. always traveling to the next place for every little meeting. The meeting would last for 30 minutes to an hour, but it took you <laughs> a whole day of travel to get there and a whole day to get back, you know? So, um, I think that the inefficiency of doing it that way has led to this shift and really saving those times for um, those, you know, those moments where you really do have to have that intimate connection. Because I, now I do feel like there is a connection that you're able to make in person that is difficult yeah. to make online. And there is a way that you have to begin to 
learn how to navigate the online space so that you can sell more, more effectively. There are a lot of consultants that are phenomenal in person. They have absolutely no problem landing business in person, but when they get online, it's a hard sell because they just don't know how to, everything that you're taught from, you know, reading the room and reading, you know, the other individual in terms of um, their their communication, um, their nonverbal communication. It's hard for you to do that online without being trained to do it. So that's one thing that can make someone feel as if they they may not be as successful online, but it's just a matter of learning that piece and being able to apply it. I'm curious, do you think we're going to start seeing more education programs, like college programs, university programs that are going to train people to be consultants, even right out of high school, we're going to train you on a specific skill and then move into consulting instead of training people for um, to be employees. You know, it's so it's hard to know because there is this whole, um, I think, movement right now to venture away from traditional education. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because I, I I am a firm believer in education. I, you know, have spent <laughs> many years doing so. I have a daughter right now that's in college. But when I think about the price tag that's associated with higher level education right now, unless we get control of that somewhat, it's hard to argue for that, you know, uh, that path to continue the way that it is. It's hard to argue for people to invest you know, $80,000 plus by the time you pay for a tuition and room and board mm -hmm. into getting an education to come out and make only a fraction of that. When they can get training in other ways, such as online or just by experience and, and be able to enter the entrepreneurial space or, or even work for others who do not have those requirements and grow in advance more quickly without the debt. So that is something that will be interesting to see how it evolves. I was actually watching a TV show um, the other day, last night, as a matter of fact, I, I catch up, I don't catch things when they come out. So I'm always <laughs> looking at the recorded episodes and um, it is a show called um, Grownish in uh, the, mm -hmm. the it's by Yara Shahidi that was, you know, um, part of Blackish. And the, the premise of this show is that all the kids, they go to college and it's all about their college experience. And the episode yesterday was about one of them um, becoming obsessed with the stock market and having to make the choice as to whether or not he continues to perform in school or whether he chases making money, you know, through these other means. And in, in that episode, his solution or the answer that he came up with was kind of trying to navigate both somewhat. But I thought that that, that was a good reflection of where we are. The fact that mm -hmm. they even made a TV show shows how much of a conversation that is today and the mindset that many people have where I feel like the ending was appropriate, meaning that we we're at this point where we don't really know which direction to go in. And most people don't know, is it better for me to go through the traditional educational path, which I will argue is going to give you education in a lot of different areas that are mm -hmm. going to be helpful for you to be able to be successful in those other areas. Um, but then how do we balance this enormous amount of debt that many people, you know, assume, especially women of color or people of color in general? And I just point that out because that's typically for many of us 
uh, one of the ways that we're able to finance higher education is through student loans and student loan debt, that you come out digging yourself out of a hole. And the question is, is that really worthwhile? Like if you look at two people that started, um, you know, at the same place and one has this debt and one doesn't, which one gets further in the end? And I will argue the person that didn't have to dig themselves out of that hole <laughs> is going to be much further ahead. Um, so yeah, so that's, I know you didn't ask for all that, but <laughs> no, that was such a thorough answer though, because I mean, you highlighted something that is a problem um, that, you know, we put a lot of value on education, but is it valuable um, or is it valuable at the price that we're paying for it? Like I, I still have student loans because it in Canada, we get special tax breaks for student loan debt versus other debt. So it doesn't make as much sense for me to pay that off. <laughs> Just as a little yeah, background. No, I understand that. But you know, I um I graduated from university well, 2004, and then I did a couple extra years going towards my master's that I didn't finish. So you know, 15 years ago, I'm still paying off student loan debt. Right. right? No, I was gonna say, I am a firm believer, like you said, mm -hmm. I think things are going to cycle back through. So there, if we have that shift, there's going to be another shift where, um, where people are going to be required to also have those degrees in order to move forward. So I feel like, you know, we're always in this constant circle, you know, I don't, I don't know how uh, you that there, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, for, any government position in Canada, you need a, at least a bachelor degree mm -hmm. and bachelor degrees have just honestly become like the baseline for mm -hmm. getting a proper well-paying or semi-well-paying job. <laughs> right. Um, but it's really interesting because like even looking back on my education and and I, I took a really interesting route. I was I went down um, the international relations route. I wanted to work for international corporations and my focus ended up being military and strategic studies, which <laughs> so very different, but I learned a lot. Like I learned a lot about diplomacy. I learned a lot about how to deal with people and manage people because that is really the basis of conflict. Um, but I probably also could have learned that outside of my degree. And so it, it's just an interesting perspective to look back and, and think, okay, I have this degree and this degree can get me pretty much any job, but it doesn't qualify me right. for any of those jobs either. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just a baseline that, that they've created. So I, I think you're right there too, where, yeah, I think sometimes we've gone in that direction, especially with the government, I've seen that. Um, but now it is kind of interesting to see a lot of uh, I would, I want to say like startups, um, a lot more of the entrepreneurs building their own businesses and not requiring it. And in fact, almost not wanting it mm -hmm. wanting you to come in fresh and let me train you and show you, you know, the ropes. So, and yeah. you know, but the benefit, like you said, is that when you go the educational route, the, the traditional academic route, you learn that there is no one way to do it. And yeah. that's the thing I always remind people, it's like, there's no one way, like there are a number of different ways that you can get to the end result. And I, I feel like that's one aspect in my business that I know will, I'm making it a little bit more difficult for myself because, excuse me, because I don't teach kind of following a particular 
uh, path or strategy for being able to establish your business. I have a set framework that we follow to create the best method for you, but I'm not one to say, for instance, if you're going to market your services, you need to be, you know, doing live videos all the time. Or if you're going to uh, be able to sell your services, you need to hold webinars every other week, or you need to fly out and, and do workshops, you know, once a yeah. month, whatever. I'm not coming up with that exact strategy because I feel as if all of those things work. They work well for different people in different industries. And so the key is figuring out what works best for you. And I feel like personally, what's been more helpful for me in, in the investments I have made in the past has been finding a framework or a way for me to think through the process. Like, I feel like a lot of people, they miss out on what's most valuable when they're working with, you know, consultants or with coaches because they're focused so heavily on how to move through the steps. And those steps are important because they're trying to get to an end goal. I, I get that. But we focus so heavily on that, that we don't take time to fully understand the thought process and why that is the case. And then what happens when people jump ahead of themselves sometimes and they go into programs and they're not prepared or they come out and they have a negative experience. Whenever I see that, I don't immediately write off, you know, for instance, the, the coach or the expert. Sometimes it's a case where that individual may not have been able to properly qualify themselves to, you know, go into that container and then get the desired result. And although one will argue, well, isn't that the coach's job to ensure that's the case? I'm like, people, you know, people misstate things all the time. I won't say lie, but they, they, you know, we, we don't fully understand and we, we kind of get ahead of ourselves at times. So those things happen. I feel like a lot of times um, that can be something that, you know, is a, negative impact in terms of outcomes. And so I'm always tossing around like, you want to come up with <laughs> just one way, just pick that one way that you feel works best, you know, the majority of the time. But I, I prefer to, you know, really use a framework that helps, you know, the clients that I work with figure out the approach that's best for them. Because that's to me what you're going to stick with. And that's what's going, I'm all about, like I said, keeping it simple and making it something that's sustainable and not something that, um, that you know, that you're never going to enjoy now. Is it, Cause I feel like it's a difference between pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and just doing things that are not authentically you. And some people do things that are just not authentically them and people can feel it and people can tell it. And in the long run, it, it just doesn't serve you, you know? Yeah. Well said. Well said. I feel like that just wraps up absolutely everything <laughs> that we've talked about. Um, so I have one last question for you. Well, two, but one big last question for you. How or what is your advice for women of color to be more unapologetic? Wow, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Because it's a journey I'm on right now. So I can't necessarily, I feel like I can't fully give that advice because I'm in the midst of it right mm -hmm. now. I can tell you what has been working for me. I um this year I call it my year of of bold. Um trying to show up boldly, more boldly in practice. Um my my coach and mentor is 
phenomenal at being bold and <laughs> she has pushed me to kind of continue to push that limit um, with everything that I do. And it's hard at times because I think often there's an experience that you walk through, especially uh, being a black woman in, in the US and, and definitely a woman of color that's different. You know, it's just different because of history, because of society, because of all the structural inequalities that exist that none of us who are living today are responsible with creating, right? But we're living through them. And, um, you know, being able to experience that and find ways to navigate it and be successful in spite of, I think it's something that we need to more boldly share. Um, oftentimes, we don't want to speak out loudly because we're afraid that it will not be politically correct or uh, it may be seen as uh, not being mainstream. And we, we're fearful of that because we want to land more business. Um, but at the same time, I think that is something that has to be heard, right? And that's something I have been just really leaning even more so into because I always tell people, you know, if you want to go into consulting, you could, there are tons of books out there. There are a lot of awesome thought leaders. There's a lot of information that you can learn and learn for, from, and those strategies work. They are very helpful, but they are not framed in the proper context for your lived experience as a woman of color or a woman in general, let's be honest with consulting. Mm -hmm. So you have to take that into proper context and it's okay to adapt and modify. And that's the part that I just want to continue to share more openly and more boldly. Um, there's a lot that I could speak to that I'm still, I'll be honest, have inside that I've been trying to pull out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Slowly, I mentioned here and there, you know, I, I mentioned very recently, um, you know, just the this experience of going into an environment where I was consulting and working with a group that I could tell had no idea they were about to have a Black female walk through the door. <laughs> and they were not comfortable with it. Um, and I tell people that that was the first group that you know, um, first organization, I should rather say that our group, quote unquote, fired. And we've never parted ways with a client before, but we did with that account. And I never said anything about it, but I know that whatever they said or mentioned to, you know, our, our leader at the time, our director at the time, was something that he wasn't comfortable with. And so it was something that I was always appreciative of being part of that group is the fact that um, I, I feel like they were very mindful and concerned about my comfort level in all of those environments, but they exist. And I think for us to ignore that fact helps no one, right? Um, and I want to get to a point where I'm able to share more and more about how you navigate that, how you still show up with a smile, how you still get the work done. And um, in, in that seat where you have to command a level of, a, of uh, influence, I like to say more so than authority, but you have to have a, a um, the ability to lead, even when those individuals may not want to be led by you. 
you know, someone has to talk about that. And I want to talk about that. And so that's been my journey in terms of trying to become more bold with the things that I talk about and discuss. But then also, I want to invite others to do the same. And I, I, you know, I say this all the time is that this is something that we all have to do together. Whatever walk of life that you're, you're on, that's different. Be able to speak to that. Disability, speak to that. You know, if you're you know, part of the LGBT community, communities, because I can't talk today, speak to that. If you are, you know, uh, just from whatever unique culture or environment, speak to that, you know, that is going to make the difference in how we show up as we move forward, because for us to act as if those things don't exist, keeps us all in the shadows. So the more and more we can boldly talk about it, authentically, you know, without being able to sugarcoat it and <laughs> hide the terms or make it seem as if it wasn't as uncomfortable and unpleasant as it really was, um, that that doesn't help, you know? So I'm trying to lean more into that. I want to, you know, um, do more of that, especially this year. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm loving. <laughs> so, I mean, that leads into the final question. Where can people communicate with you and be a part of this movement and oh, be a part of your community. Yes. So I, I'm glad you say movement because that's exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to build. Um, but I can be found online under Dr. Angelina Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, even TikTok. I don't do that Ooh. very often, but I use it for, for the podcast. Um, but on, on any of those channels, also on, um, online at www.excelitconsulting.com and the podcast. So uh, the podcast is called Black Girls Consult 2. And I like to tell people it's not just for, for Black women. That's not the premise and the, the reason it's named that. Um, the, it has the title because it's a reminder that we we also exist. Is that when you think about consulting, it's not, you know, just this narrow scope and view that you probably always imagine that there is so much diversity in the industry. And I'm just trying to highlight um, that diversity. And so what I hope to do as I move forward in this year is to also bring on more guests from different backgrounds so that I can highlight the fact that, you know, it's speaking to the creative realm, it's speaking to, you know, um, just so many other aspects of going into consulting that they're there's just a lot of variety out there and that it's okay to, you know, to embrace that too. Oh, what a great, great way to end this. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for being open and raw and real and unapologetic. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>